Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, featuring the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Ezekiel chapter 1, if you want to make your way there to Ezekiel uh, chapter 1. But we have been walking through on Wednesday nights different characters, talking about the infamous, or the famous and the infamous, and uh, looking at different characters we have in the Bible. So tonight we're going to be on the subject of Ezekiel, or on the character of Ezekiel. So as we've been walking through, um, should turn a page, the next time we're together we're going to be in the New Testament, um, but tonight we're going to be looking at the subject of Ezekiel, as far as who Ezekiel was. So we've been coming, and in all these character studies we've been coming, we've been asking three questions. We've asked the question about who who they were, like who were they? Um, this is biographical, um, mother, father, wife, children, whatever, biographical information. Then we ask the question of, well, why do we know them? So as far as what are the key things, the key themes, or the key, the, uh, key stories that we find in Scripture about them? And then last we ask the question, well, what lessons do they teach us? So when we come to the subject of Ezekiel, obviously um, a big book. One of the four major prophets that you have in your Old Testament. Ezekiel is one. Do you know the other three that are considered to be the major prophets? Isaiah. Isaiah. Jeremiah. Daniel. Daniel. That's right. So this is one of the four. Not considered major because of importance or not considered major in terms of the content of what they had to say, but in the amount of information that is there. So I think it's 40, uh, no, 48 chapters, I believe, is the length of Ezekiel. And so it's a, a lot bigger than you go to like the book of Jonah, which is only four chapters, or you go to some of these other smaller minor prophets that are smaller in scope and breadth. So Ezekiel, one of the four major prophets, what do we know about Ezekiel? Do we know daddy, mama, wife, sister, brother, son. high school? Son of Boozy. Son of Boozy. Alright, where do you get that from, Mr. Hurley? Verse 3. That's right. Alright, so chapter 1, verse 3, it tells us that he was a priest, the son of Boozy. Do we know anything about Boozy? anything about Boozy. He was a Zodiac priest. He was a Zodiac priest, yes. Uh, yes, during, and that's just referring to Zodiac, which is a priestly lineage, so we know he is a, a Zodiac priest, but you, I couldn't find the name Boozy anywhere else in the Bible. So we know that his daddy's name was Boozy, but beyond that, The scripture doesn't tell us. Now you can find some commentaries or maybe even some study helps that might um, illuminate a little bit. But as far as going to the text itself, boozy isn't mentioned anywhere else in scripture. Do we know about a mother? No? He had to have one, right? I mean, so just, you know, biologically he had to have one. But we don't know her name. We don't know anything about her. Do we know anything about a wife or children that Ezekiel had? Was he married? He was married. How do we know that? 
That's right. Okay. So his wife. Um, so you can just let's say let's say you're in Ezekiel one. Fast forward to chapter twenty four. Um, Fast forward to chapter 24, we get the picture of his wife. It's really the only um, picture that I see of his wife. Maybe some of you can dig something else up, but really the only time we are introduced to his wife, we don't get, we're not given a name of his wife. And really the only thing we know about his wife is in Ezekiel chapter 24 and verse 15. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, behold, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. Yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh, but not aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban and put your shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips, nor eat the bread of men. Verse 18. So I spoke to the people in the morning and in the evening my wife died. And on the next day I did as I was commanded. The only picture that I could find where he talks about his wife is right there. And that is in reference where God comes to Ezekiel and says, Hey, I'm gonna your wife's gonna die, but when she dies, you're not gonna be you're not gonna mourn, you're not gonna have any kind of external mourning. And it's all to be a representation. What just strikes me is he tells the people that morning, this is what God said is going to happen. And that night his wife died. Doesn't say that she was sick. Doesn't say that she was, you know, littered with disease. It didn't say that she had a huge uh, accident with some donkeys and some camels. I mean, it's just like, it was like just at night the wife died. Now, I'm thinking, wonder what the wife thought about this. (laughs) Can you imagine Ezekiel going in and saying, hey, honey. God gave me some news last night. Oh yeah, honey, what was that? You're going to die in 24 hours. I mean, that's just that, that, that's unsettling just to think about that. All right. So, and that's the only time that I have found so far where it talks about his wife. And only thing it says is, I'm going to take your wife and her death, and your response to her death is going to be a witness and a demonstration about my response to the plight of the people. You know, we will sometimes start to feel sorry for ourselves because of the cross we've been given to bear. And sometimes we'll say things like, oh man, poor pitiful me. Whoa. What was it? Well, was no, e-haw. Uh, that's what Yeah, that's how we, you know, go around. But how many of us have lost our wives. It says through the light of your eyes in verse 16. It wasn't even like they weren't even like friendly. I mean, it wasn't like he was like, good, good, I'm tired of her. No, it's through the light of his eyes. I mean, how many of us, how many of us in that spot that God's like, you know what? I know you've been faithful, but now I'm going to do something else. I'm going to take your wife. Alright. So we know he was married. No, he had a wife that was in was in peril because of his calling before the Lord. Do we know anything about children? I couldn't find anything that talked about children. What else do we know about Ezekiel that might be of a biographical nature? We know he's a Hebrew, right? Tells us that back in chapter 1. We know he was a Hebrew because he is considered, he has talked about that he was among the exiles in Chabar.
Chabar Canal or by the Chabar Canal. Alright, so we know he's one of the exiles. Some Bible commentators think that he received the call and began to prophesy at the age of 13. Excuse me. So you see in chapter 1 and verse 1 it says in the 13th year. So they're saying and that's in the 13th year that he was alive. So God called him at 13 to start proclaiming these prophecies. Doesn't say that he was 13 years old, but that's what they keyed in on. Some Bible commentaries will tell you that he was a young man there in what is modern day Israel and he saw some of the reforms of some of the kings but then also he saw the destruction and so now he's in exile there in Babylon and he starts to utter prophecies on behalf of God. Just a little Bible trivia for you. Do you know how many times the name of Ezekiel is given in the Bible? There's only two places in your English Bible that you'll see the name Ezekiel. Well, three if you consider the title um, on the book. Maybe even more if you have one of those Bibles that has the book and the, the chapter. Okay, so so maybe I should re, maybe I should rephrase that. It, it depends on how sticky you're going to get. However, in the body of the text, there's only two places where you'll see the name of Ezekiel given, and that is chapter one and verse three, and chapter twenty-four and verse twenty-four. Those are the only two places you see Ezekiel. You may say, well, Spence, why does, that, why does that matter? Well, because the whole book is not about Ezekiel. The whole book is about what God is doing with God's people and what God is doing with the people that are in exile and how God is telling them, this is why you're in exile and now this is what I'm going to do while you're in exile and this is what is going to happen after the exile. So the whole focus of the book is not on Ezekiel. It's on God speaking to the people. I just think that's interesting. That's the only two places in 48 chapters where the name of Ezekiel is given, and that is chapter 1 and chapter 24. And so they named a whole book after him for two names. They named a whole book after him for two names. Yeah. Yeah. What else do we know about him biographically? Anything else? Obviously he was a writing prophet. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because he, Yes. Wrote a lot of stuff down. Yes. He was also a priest. Also a priest? Yes, sir. Watchman. Okay. So let's let's pivot then to why do we know about him? And you said because he's a watchman. Where do you get that from, Mr. Harold? Um, he was watching for the Babylonians. Uh, So if you go to chapter 3 and you look down there at verse 16, yes, he was a watchman. But just key in to think about, okay, so we know about who he was, but then why do we know him? Why is he somebody that's significant? Why do we see somebody that we pay attention to? Well, one of the examples that I wrote down that I think you might be alluding to, Harold, is like you get to chapter 3 and in verse 16, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, um, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give them no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul 
You have delivered your soul. It goes on there, verse 20 and continuing, but what we see is God comes to Ezekiel and says, I have made you a watchman. So the things that I tell you, you are to tell them. And he says right there in that passage, verse 16 down through verse 19, if I tell you something and you communicate the message, you're not going to be responsible for how they respond. But if I tell you something and you do not communicate the message, then I will hold you responsible for their failure to obey. Does that make sense? So he's telling them, hey, and and we see this echoed in chapter 33, this same type of language in chapter 3 and verse 1 through 9. We see the same type of language that God is saying, Ezekiel, your role is not to go nanny nanny boo boo, I told you so. Your role is not to filter out what I say versus what you repeat. Your role is to say what I have said to the people. Let me worry about how they respond or their obedience. You be faithful to tell the people what I have told you to tell the people. There's some lessons there for you and I because a lot of times we will know what God's Word says and we are tempted to... Soften it, right? Well, we're tempted to massage it. Sometimes we're tempted to say, well, I know it says this, but I want to be a little bit more palatable. I want to be a little bit more approachable. I want to be a little nicer about it. God has not given us that luxury to decide what we say and what we don't say. He's given us a message. So that's one reason why we know about Ezekiel. What's another reason why we may know about Ezekiel? Anything else from the book of Ezekiel sticks out to you? <coughs> chapter 3, we like to eat scrolls. Chapter 3, that's right. He was, he was made to eat the scroll, and, and it got down in his belly, right? Because he was saying, what am I supposed to do? And God said, eat, eat this scroll, and... Uh, That's down in verse 27. But when I speak with you, I'll open your mouth and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, and he he who will hear, let him hear. And he who refuse to hear, let him refuse. For they are a rebellious house. So he says, I want you to get this in your body. I want you to get this in your heart. I want you to get this in your soul. I want you to get this in your innards. What about chapter 4? You familiar with chapter 4? Some of this we looked at when we were going through the different surveys of the book of the Bible, but I don't want to, we can't just skip over chapter 4. So in chapter 4, after God calls Ezekiel and says, you're going to be my spokesman and you're going to be my prophet, you get to chapter 4 and God says, okay, I want you to take some bricks and I want you to draw and etch on these bricks this, these symbols, these, these pictures, these images of a siege and of siege work and of places being under siege and under destruction. Then I want you to demonstrate that picture by doing what? Chapter 4, verse 4. What? Verse 4. Yeah, and verse 4. So he tells him... You're going to demonstrate what I'm about to do, what I've done, and what I'm going to do. And he tells him, I want you to lay on your left side for how many days? 
390 days. Then after 390 days, he then rolls over on his right side and he lays Miss Donna for 40 days on his right side. So 390 plus 40, what is that? 430 days. He is to lay on one side and then he lays on the other side. And if you look down there in chapter 4 and verse 8, God says, I will place cords upon you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other till you have completed the days of your siege. So he lays down on this, not on some seely comfort sleep number mattress. Okay, we we not talking about some of that. All right, it tells you what he's going to lay on up there, uh, up there in verse one down to verse three. It says what he's going to lay on. The stuff he's laying on is not comfortable, but he's going to lay on his side, his left side, for three hundred and ninety days. And as he's laying there, he's going to take cords, and he's going to God's going to tie him down so he can't move. And so he's laying there in this position for three hundred ninety days. Not because he did something wrong, but because he is a visual, he is a visual visual representation on behalf of God of what God is doing to his people. So he lays on his side for 390 days. And, and we may say, well, that sounds terrible. We haven't even thought about trying to lay on our side for a full 24 hours. I know. I, you just, I mean, he's laying there, and it gets even more fascinating for me because he's laying there, and you might think, well, wonder what he's doing while he's laying there. He's just laying there as an object, as a demonstration. So when the people are coming by, or when the people are looking, they're seeing him laying there, like, why is he doing this? Because he is a representation of what God is going to do to the people. What else does he do? Well, you get down there to verse 9, and it talks about you're going to lay on your side for 390 days. And then in verse 10, it says, And your food that you shall eat shall be by weight, 20 shekels a day, um, from day to day you shall eat it. And water you shall drink by measure, a sixth part of a hen from day to day you shall drink. And you shall eat it as barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. Now some Bibles already do the translation for you. So do some of your Bibles already have the translation in verse 10? What is the equivalent volume or weight of 20 shekels of bread? 8 ounces of bread. Alright? A sixth part of a hen of water is roughly how much water? A quart or 20 ounces maybe of water. So he is laying on his side, on his left side and his right side, for 430 days. And every day he gets 8 ounces of bread. He gets 20 ounces of water. The bread that he gets is not the real deluxe, super fancy bread. He's getting the barley cake, which was like the cheapest. It was like the, the, the easiest to fix. The, the, all the poor people, they used the barley bread. It wasn't tasteful. It wasn't very good as far as digested because it had a lot of big grains in it and so it wasn't very easy to digest. wasn't very nutritious and not only was he eating pretty much the cheapest bread you could get, only 8 ounces of bread a day. I would have lost some weight. 8 ounces of bread a day, 20 ounces of water, but then it says in verse 12 that they're going to bake the bread on human dung. Then, he's like, 
Hey, God, that would make me unclean. So then God says, oh, okay. And then down in verse 15 of chapter 4, then he said to me, see, I assign to you cow's dung instead of human dung. So God said, oh, yeah, cooking your bread over human poo is not good. So now you can use cow poo to cook your bread. Not wood, not grass, nothing else. And so he's laying on his side, watching them bake his bread day after day after day. That is incredible faithfulness, if you ask me. That's incredible faithfulness to say, this is who I am. Then, after the end of the 430 days, you get to chapter 5. Now, he's been laying on his left side for 390. He's been laying on his right side for 40. So now, when he finally gets up, what does he do? It says in verse 1, God said, now I want you to take a sharp sword, use it as a barber's razor, pass it over your head and your beard, so he's going he's gonna to pull a, a josh on us, and he's going to shave his head, and he's going to shave his beard. All right? And then what does he do with it? He goes throughout the city and it says, A third part of it you shall burn in the fire in the midst of the city when the days of the siege are completed. And a third part of it you shall take aside and strike with the sword all around the city. And then a third part you shall scatter to the wind. So you get this imagery that he shaves his head and he shaves his beard and he takes it, however much it is. Part of it he burns. Part of it he chops it up real fine and throws it out in the wind and scatters it around the town. And you're just going, how strange is that? Isn't this about obedience? I think it is about obedience, and I also think it's about the imagery that God is trying to convey to the people of what He's doing. I just, if I'm Ezekiel and I'm going, hey God, I've done enough, alright? I've laid on my side, I've ate your 8 ounces of bread, you know, for over a year now. I've drank your 20 ounces of water. And that throws in a whole new wrinkle. If you're laying on your side and you're tied down, there's a whole hygiene there's a bunch of hygiene questions that come in, in my mind, to that whole scenario and the exposure to the elements and the different seasons and just a whole lot of things that I have questions about that I may not uh, be reading correctly out of the text. But then afterwards, then he shaves his head and he goes around and does that. You can just think he might be thinking, God, I'm done. I've done my part. Let me go home. Let me watch some TV. Let me chill out. Let me, let me get something to eat. I mean, you can just imagine him probably thinking, I've done enough for you, God. And yet, over and over again, he continues to be faithful to exactly what God has called him to do. What else is the reason why we know about him? He did have visions. Like, give me an example, young lady. The dry bones. Where do we see that at? It is in, yes, ma'am. It is, isn't it? Yes, ma'am. That, that, that's a good place to start. 37. Ezekiel 37. This is a passage that you, uh, if you spend very much time um, in Baptist circles, you're going to hear somebody preach on this passage from time to time. And it is amazing how many different takes people have on this passage of the dry bones. But um, just to kind of summarize the the Spence version of the story, you have um, all of these bones. It says in chapter 37 and verse 1, 
the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones and he led me around among them and behold there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold they were very dry and he said to me son of man can these bones live and I answered oh Lord God you know and he said to me prophesy over these bones and say to them oh dry bones hear the word of the Lord thus says the Lord God to these bones behold I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound and behold a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone and I looked and behold there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath of them. Then he said to me prophesy to the breath. Prophesy son of man and say to the breath thus says the Lord God come from the four winds O breath and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Now you come to this passage and you read this imageries depending on your past perspective depending on your background there's imageries that all come to mind. There's some places that I can take you around Wellston and there's a bunch of places I can take you down in southwestern Oklahoma where you got big cattle ranchers and when they have a cow that dies or whatever, a bovine that ceases to exist, they have an area that they haul all the cattle to where they then decompose and that's just like a big, it's, it's a boneyard, okay? So it's a boneyard. So in my days of running around there doing electrical work, you would come upon some of these boneyards and they may be the size of this room and there'd just be bones and bones and skeletons of different states of decomposition, right? And that, that is just where they're at. So that's what comes to my mind, is he comes in there, and it's not a bunch of bovines that are sitting out there. There's a bunch of human bones, skeletons, all scattered out in this valley. And he looks upon these, and God says, can they live? And he's like, if you say so, God, if you say so. And he says, talk to them. And as he starts talking to them, I think of Fifle Goes West, alright? There's a scene in Fifle Goes West, where the bones start coming together, and they start rattling and rattling and rattling you. Just trust me on it. Okay, so there's some imagery I got in my head of how this looks. And then, if you know, the story continues. The bones come together. The muscles, that's the sinews, the, connect, the connecting ligaments. All of those things come upon them. And next thing you know, you have these figures, people, that come together. And right before his eyes, they are reconstructed, if you will. And next thing you know, they're standing on their feet. And it says in verse 10, Breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet in the seat of the great army. What does it mean? Okay. So here's where sometimes it gets interesting. Because depending on the speaker, you will get a lot of different ideas of then what this means for us today. So you get people that will say, oh, this, this is representative of the church. And oh, God can raise back up the church. Some people say that this was Israel 1948. Remember, before 1948, you had the Jewish people. They were scattered abroad. After you had World War II, you had the creation of the nation, the government of Israel, which is still in 
use even modern day. And so some people have pointed to the creation of the country of Israel as the culmination of these dry bones because before then the Jewish nation and the Hebrew people were scattered. Some people use this passage to say, so if you just have enough faith, you can preach to dry, dead people and the Spirit of God can revive them again. What does it mean? So this is where this is where I come to say that we see portions of Scripture that are prescriptive and portions of Scripture that are descriptive. There are portions of Scripture that are prescriptive telling us what to do or now based upon this what we should do, how we then should live. I'm thinking of Matthew chapter 28 and I'm thinking when Jesus gave the Great Commission that was prescriptive to say this is what I want you to do. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 31. For whatever you do give all the glory and honor to God. That's just a paraphrase. That is a prescriptive type portion. Then you also have portions of Scripture that are descriptive that we get to see the power of God, the character of God, the attributes of God, or the abilities of God, or even what God can do in His creation in a descriptive way. When I come to Ezekiel 37, you may say, is this talking about Israel 1948? It doesn't say it. Be careful about inserting our preference into what the text doesn't say. Okay? So the text doesn't say that he is talking about the church 2023. The text does not say that he is talking about the country of Israel 1948. The text says that he is talking about God demonstrating to the people in that time period about what God was going to do with the nation of Israel. And what God was going to do with the nation of Israel, they thought that they had been forgotten about. They thought that they had been taken off into exile. They were into Babylon. God had forgotten about them. That was the life. God was just done with the people of Israel, even though God had promised Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 that they would be his chosen people. Even though he renewed that promise through Moses and then he renewed that promise to uh, Joshua and he renewed that promise down saying, you are my people. You are my people forever and ever. The exile came, the destruction came and you had all this nation of Jewish people thinking God has reneged. God has forgotten about us. You get to Ezekiel 37 I think part of what's going on is God showing this is what I can do with the people that are sprung far, with the people that are already have counted themselves out, with the people that think there is no hope and no help in sight. I can still bring about life to my chosen people. So be careful. Be careful when we come to passages. We will hear things that are meant to be descriptive, but people will use them prescriptively and they can swap them back and forth. Could I be wrong in Ezekiel 37? I could be wrong. But what I do know is what is in view here, what the Bible is talking about, is Ezekiel to the exiles during that season of history. There is nothing there that mentions the New Testament church. There is nothing there that mentions his first Baptist church of Wellston. Can God in his power revive a dry, crusty people? Yes. Yes, he could. 
Can God bring about this kind of spiritual revival that ignites a passion and a returning of people back to Him? Yes, He sure can. Can God moisten and revive your dry, crusty heart? Yes, He can. Do you get all that from Ezekiel 37? Well, you see that God has the power to do that. But let's just not say because you read it, that means what God's going to do for you, right? Uh, so, be, so be careful. But yes, Miss Donna, we know him because of Ezekiel 37. And, and he had, he had the, the vision of the dry bones, right? He, he sees this taking place. Anything else that sticks out that we would know Ezekiel for? Yes, sir? Could there also be talking about proof of resurrection? Sure. I sure could be talking about proof of resurrection. Well, that was a debate. The Sadducees and the Pharisees. Yeah. He could. I, the last time I heard this preached, uh, it was by a fancy pants preacher from North Carolina, and he was preaching at the National Convention. And... Uh, He's up in there in a suit that costs more than Jaylene and I's house. And he's talking about what this passage means, that if the Southern Baptist Convention would just turn and repent, that God would revive the Southern Baptist Convention and bring us back to the days of glory of a million more in 54 kind of thing. And and I'm thinking, no, (laughs) no, no, we're not going back to the 50s. I mean, it's just, that's not, but yes, it could. I mean, it could have application well, to the proof of the resurrection. God keeps saying the Son of Man, you know, and so that's a representation of Christ to me. Sure, sure. Because right after this vision, he had a vision of the new temple and all that. Yeah, he sees the new Israel. He sees the new Israel, the new temple, the new city of Jerusalem. Yeah. So it could be a representation of the second coming. Sure. It sure could. What other things that we know, anything else that we know Ezekiel for? Alright? So what lessons? What lessons do we learn from the life, the ministry, the example of Ezekiel? It's not about us, it's about me. It's about God. That's right. Yeah, it's about God. Sometimes we get the focus in the wrong, the wrong spot. Sometimes we think it's all about me. Yeah. One phrase that I've just noticed perusing here, I've, I've never, that I know of, been in a study in the book of Ezekiel, and I've never taught it. And, uh, but a phrase that I've seen more than one place is God says, Then they will know that I am the Lord. Yes. That seems to be a recurring theme. Yes. Any other thoughts about what we learned? So let me give you a couple that I wrote down. One of the lessons that sticks out to me is that God uses people. God doesn't need to use people. God has the power. God has the ability to bring about His will and His ways. And yet God uses people. You get down there to chapter 2 and uh, verse 1 down through verse 10. God comes and He calls Ezekiel. 
And he says, Ezekiel, I have a plan for you. Ezekiel, I have something that I want you to do. Ezekiel, I have a purpose that I am calling you for. And not just here in Ezekiel, but elsewhere in Scripture, we see where God uses people to accomplish His desired purpose. I think that is incredibly encouraging. When we think about this thing called the kingdom of God and our opportunity to be used in the kingdom of God. It's not that we're just a nobody in a no place area. We are always reminded that God uses people. And what an encouragement it is to know that even today, God is still using people. And what an opportunity it is for us to consider how might God be seeking to use us. I'm not saying that there are things that God says, well, unless Matt agrees, I can't do it. No, God can do it other ways. But is there still opportunities for each one of us in this room to be used by God in a particular way? Absolutely. God still uses us. But then not just that, if you go to chapter 5, we see where God is still judging or God judging sin. If you go to chapter 5 and verse 13, you know, sometimes we live in a day and age where they think that God has stopped judging or that God has stopped being just or that maybe that God has changed His mind or maybe God is not going to hold those um, that sin against Him accountable. And we see so much, so much crime, so much violence, so much tragedy, so much wrong. Was it last night out in Philadelphia when a, a bunch of those young people decided to put masks on and go take a bunch of stuff that wasn't theirs? And it's one of those things, you're looking around, and there were people, business owners, people that lost, that were, were wronged by the selfish actions of other people. And we see this go on and sometimes we start to think, oh, God's just kind of taking His hands off of it and God's just kind of let the thing go off the rails. But in verse 13 of chapter 5, God says, Thus shall my anger spin itself and I will vent my fury upon them and satisfy myself. And they shall know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken of my jealousy when I spend my fury upon them. So He reminds Ezekiel to tell the people, God is still just. And I want to remind us tonight, the things that we see, the injustices, the tragedies, the abuses that we go on, it's not that God is unable, God just hasn't yet. God is still going to deal with sin. God has already dealt with sin. Hebrews chapter 9 talks about Jesus coming and dealing with sin for the saved, but God is still going to deal with the sin. And when we think about Ezekiel, Ezekiel is saying, this is what you did against God, and now this is what God has done to you. Please do not lose heart and to think the bad guys are winning, or that evil is winning, or that God is unable to do anything about it. God is still in the justice business. And the last one that I wrote down is that when we go to the end of the book of Ezekiel, we see where God also redeems. We see there in chapter 39, in verse 25, what Mark had talked about, seeing this vision of the new temple. In fact, you get down to chapter 39, all the way to chapter 48, and it is all consumed with Ezekiel describing this new Jerusalem, this new temple, this new city. And what is this a picture of? It's God bringing the redemptive work, restoring His people, restoring creation back to Himself. It says in chapter uh, 39 and verse 25, it says, Therefore thus 
says the Lord God, Now restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid. He goes on to explain that these are the things that I am going to do. I am going to restore. I am going to redeem. Why? Because I am God. And you get to the very last verse in Ezekiel chapter 48. Very last verse, verse 35. He's just been describing things that sometimes you and I are going to read and we're going to be like, I don't understand that. I don't get that. There will be things that, we, that will make sense when we're in heaven someday. There will be things that we'll be like, oh, yeah, now I get it. Now I understand how that works. Now I get it. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, I, I see it now. And in chapter 48... In verse 35, the last part of that verse. And the name of the city from that time shall be the Lord is there. It's the idea that Ezekiel leaves us. Oh, there's a lot of justice from God that we see in the preceding chapters in Ezekiel. There's a lot of times where God is saying, this is the wrath I'm pouring out. This is the justice that I'm bringing upon my people. This is the consequence for their disobedience. This is the consequence for their apostasy. There's all these things that are coming upon that God is bringing to the people. But then he says at the very end, I'm going to restore my people back to me. Makes me think about Revelation 22, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night shall be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Even when we see in the book of Ezekiel and we see the disobedience and we see the consequences for disobedience and we see how God brings about those hardships and brings about that, that, that punishment and that wrath and that judgment upon the people, we still see at the end God brings about the redemption and the restoration all back, bringing full circle His plan for creation and His plan for His people. There's a great story in the book of Ezekiel about that circle that God is bringing. Created in perfection, man fell. He put in then. He put then in place the plan of redemption that carries us all the way to Revelation, where then God restores and redeems His people one last time, and we live with God for eternity in heaven. A beautiful picture that we see through the life of Ezekiel as he prophesies and prophesies and prophesies. What other lessons? Any other lessons? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you. If you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org, please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.